from the pricking, thinning, and hardened off studios of the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. It is time for another end of the line episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. We're almost there, cats and kittens. On today's show, we'll finish off our thrilling series on seed starting from pricking and thinning all the way to hardening off. Plus your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and effusively endemic elongations. So keep your eyes and our ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you not killing your baby plants. Right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another excellent edition of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and coming up later on the show, we're going to finally finish our seed-starting extravaganza with Chapter 6. You won't want to miss it. And you won't, as long as you keep listening to our fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Bonnie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Yes, Mike. Where are you? I'm in Coopersburg, Pennsylvania. (laughs) What could we do for Bonnie in Coopersburg? Well, my question is really about one of these oil-filled electric heaters or radiator heaters. Okay, so just to go back in time, um, we've had quite a few questions about greenhouses. Well, this is pertaining to my lean-to greenhouse. Exactly. And uh, a lot of people want to extend their growing season, and they've invested in or are investigating greenhouses. And, of course, one of the most important things is keeping it warm over the winter, especially if it is a detached greenhouse that can't use any of the heat from your house. So tell us about your uh, setup. Well, it's a six-section lean-to on the back of the house, which gives it southern exposure. Good. So that's one good thing. And uh, it's about nine feet by 16 feet, hmm. but it's uh, dug three feet into the ground. Huh. So the glass, yeah, the, gla- the glass starts at ground level. But the reason it's dug out is because of our cellar entrance. We had a large picture window down there we got rid of and knocked the rest of what had to be done out of there. And now you can go right from our lower room right out into the greenhouse. So that was the reason it's three feet down. Gotcha. So I I think what you're doing sounds really good so far, especially the southern exposure. Is there any air transfer between your lean-to and the actual home? Well, it's just the bottom level. Then there's a a 12 by 18-foot room so uh, all that's in there. I, I have an air conditioner for the summertime, but I do not. I, I'm using propane heat. Now, this heat, this greenhouse has been up since 1980, and it's mm-hmm. been functioning. I have never shut it down. And it's been fed with propane all those years. And, uh, you know, propane is getting it's out of sight It's getting out of cost, yeah. 
and then I saw on your, your list of things Greenhouse 101, and I read it, and that was about a propane heater. I mean, uh, the... Um, the oil-filled radiators. The yes. oil-filled, right. And I thought, well, start looking it up on the Internet. With Wait a minute, nothing. Bonnie. Bonnie, this yes. is breaking news. People are complaining on the Internet? Oh, oh yeah, the reviews. So let's say you buy one of these things and you plug it in and you notice that it gets hotter than the thermostat and doesn't shut off at the correct temperature you unplug it put it back in the box and send it back to where you got it i've been using oil-filled radiators since i was growing plants for the philadelphia flower show and the original models i used back then had very fat fins, just like an in-home radiator. When uh, nothing bad happened to it, it just rusted up so much, I was ashamed for people to see it. I put that down in the basement, and I bought another one, and the fins were slightly thinner, and it worked really well. But I sat on it. <laughs> you could sit on the old one, but the legs weren't, you know, when your hiney was so cold. But I sat on oh. this one and broke the um, broke the little wheels. So, oh, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, that had to go to the island of broken toys. Um, I have found my thermostat to be very reliable. And what I love about it is there's no flame. I mean... The only thing bad that could happen is if you use a saw and cut, you know, halfway through the cord. But I love the idea that it warms up this oil in the radiator. And I have found the um, temperature control, the thermostat, to be very reliable. Now, I can't tell you what I have. Oh, um, that's, that's the problem. I would love to know that. Well, I, you know, I bought it like three or four years ago. And I was changing rooms from my seed starting because we had adopted two bad cats. And we, <laughs> I, I, I had to modify the porch be, uh, to become the new seed starting station. And I went to Home Depot and I bought the one they had. They only had the one? To tell you the truth, I walked in, I saw it, I picked it up, I paid for it, and I went home. <laughs> Okay. Knowing that if something was wrong, I could return it. Okay. They're very good about that, as is Amazon, as as are most people. But if you're looking, if you're looking on Amazon, anything four star or better is absolutely fine. Okay, that answers part of a question then. Part. All right. Now, well, what's the price compared to running electric? Oh, wait, wait a minute. With the oil-filled radiators, we are running electric. I'm not sure. I've never used propane heat, so I'm not sure how um, thermostatic they are and how much they need human intervention to work at the right temperature. The greenhouse, excuse me for interrupting you, the greenhouse is only used to winter over my hanging baskets like the spider's the bridal veils, the wandering Jews, and the salvia. That, that's basically, I have some succulents and things that stay in all year, but 
I basically use the greenhouse for the hanging baskets to winter them over the winter. Huh. And uh, are they in your house the rest of the time? No, they're, out, they're hanging baskets out all summer. So mm-hmm. as soon as the weather permits, like Glenn, Glenn Ellenberger used to always say, don't do anything till after May 15th. No, 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 no. You may not use dates. You need to look to the 10-day forecast and look at the nighttime temperatures. And when they are reliably in the 50s, that's when it's safe to put plants back outside. There are no dates. I mean, climate change has bollocksed all this up. I mean, you just need to keep it above 55 degrees in that greenhouse. So you need an internal thermometer, you know, one hanging next to the plants. I endorse these things. I have not paid a lot of attention. When I've needed a new one, I've just gone and bought it. I hate to buy heavy stuff. So I just go to a store and buy it, and if it doesn't work, I take it back. Easy peasy. All right, Mike. Well, that basically what I called you about. All right. And I think you've taken care of the issue. Yes. And thank you. Thank you.
Well, it's time for me to take a little break and explain my theory of feeding with suet. I do not want you to take your suet feeders down yet. As we get into the spring, your birds need very high energy um, for hooking up, mating, and giving birth to little baby birdies. So leave those suet feeders up until you tell you different. But don't go looking for all the details at the Gardens Live section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back with lots more tips on successful suet feeding and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a brand new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling all-new episode of You Bet Your Garden, from the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. And finally, ah, oh, finally, at the end of the show, we're going to finish off our seed starting instructions, which if you put all six of them together, it's like a book. Anyway, it'll be coming up after lots of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Janet, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Oh, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here, Janet, or else I'd just be talking to myself, you know. <laughs> How are you doing? I am doing fabulously. Excellent. Excellent. And where is Janet fabulous? In Williamsburg, Virginia. Oh, okay. Very good. My brother and his wife live in Virginia Beach, and they love, love traveling to Williamsburg. Oh, yes. Okay. First, I had a question for you, which does have to do with the seed starting you were going to talk about, and then another more info about composting. Okay. So first first of all, last year, a fellow called you, and you and he were discussing deformable lights for starting seeds. Ah! I wondered... I wondered if you tried them, and if so, how were they? Uh, I love them. I bought two of them. Ooh. Yeah, they came in a, a pack of two at the time. Incredibly mm -hmm. inexpensive, a lot of lumens, cheap to run. Um, I, I, um, I screwed them into what's called the trouble light, so it was very easy to put them onto a timer. Oh, yeah, the big yellow thing with the hook on the top. Correct. And except okay. that's what it used to look like. It's class, It's classier now. But, oh, boy. Um, I like them so much that I am retiring uh, my fluorescent lights uh -huh. and uh, plan to just buy another deformable um, LED light. And for people who don't know what we're talking about, this product was given the worst name in the history of naming products. Deformable. 
own, to walk with a crutch? What, you know, what does that mean? But really, they're advertised as garage lights. They screw into a regular light socket. They're 180,000 times as bright, and they cost less to run because there's just dozens of LED fixtures. I've had great results. Thank you for asking. <laughs> oh, well, it came a little too late for me because I, I couldn't decide, and I ended up with buying the um, regular um, LED some strips. So I'll be using this them this year and mm. if I add more um more space to the seed starting I will okay, keep now, in mind the deformables. Compare those lumens to one of the deformable lights, which mm -hmm. as you know um actually has three panels that come down and yes, deliver a, a massive a amount mm -hmm. of candle power. They're not that expensive. Go online. You'll find your light strips on Amazon. It'll tell you how many lumens. Compare that mm -hmm. to a pair of deformables. They are oh, very no? inexpensive. And maybe your light strip can be used somewhere in the house where you need more light. Light is a good thing. Light is a great thing. All right, compost. Come on. Let's move. Compost. The um, I know you never want to get grass clippings from treated lawns. Correct. Does that, when I've been poaching leaves, I've been wondering if I take the bags of leaves from a yard that has been treated, are they okay? Yes. Oh, that's what I want to hear. The herbicides that kill plants that are applied to lawns um, are systemic. They stay in the body of the blade. Um Mm -hmm. They don't transfer to leaves that fall on them. Okay. So does that also follow for properties that have uh, had, quote, natural, unquote, lawn treatments and mosquito fogging? Well, um, you Sounds would... Sounds like it should be same. Well, you, you would want to see what they actually used. Mm -hmm. Especially for mosquito fogging, because we got two very different types here. Um, mm -hmm. The one type is the old school chemical spray that kills everything but mosquitoes. Yeah. Uh, but now hip municipalities are using BTI, uh, Bacillus mm -hmm. thuringiensis israeliensis. And when that lands on any kind of water, even a wet lawn, it prevents mosquito breeding and is absolutely harmless to everything okay. else. Um, but a lawn clipping should be left on lawns. Uh, I would okay. I would not be tempted to use them in a compost pile, especially because you told me that um, you have acres of uh, coffee grounds. Yes. And they are a superior form of nitrogen. Leaving the clippings on the lawn feeds the lawn. You, you, yeah. You use the coffee grounds. You take it out to a waste stream. You take it mm -hmm. out of the waste stream. And uh, Al Gore will give you a medal of some kind. Oh, neat. But, but again, as far as the mosquitoes, it's uh, the one guy told me that 
in you know July or August, he has a guy come out, and it's one of these places that claims to be natural mosquito spraying. Excellent. So it's possible. So it's it's possible. So because man, I left those thirty bags of leaves lying, and it just hurt me. So um, I'm not sure what that yeah. means, but. Um, oh, no, it hurt my heart to leave all those bags of leaves because I didn't know if that mosquito treatment was going to hurt my lungs. Oh, no, no. The mosquito treatment, old school, if it gets into your garden, kills all the life. Um, yeah. But, you know, having a pile of leaves that gets sprayed would be unfortunate but not deadly. Okay. And ask and, them what they're using. Be specific. Okie doke. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 888-492-9444. Pam, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. How are you doing today? I am just ducky. As That's great. Is, How's ducky doing? Ducky is celebrating my 70th birthday today. With Whoa, me wearing a special ducky hat and, <laughs> of course, still a COVID mask. Although I don't think it's going to be the one uh, that we're told we have to use now. So we may have to get ducky a new mask. But, yeah, Maybe here we go. a little bit. <laughs> there we go. Happy birthday. <laughs> Done with Happy that. Happy birthday. I would sing, but I don't want to oh, take God, too no. much time. You never want to hear me sing. That's a... <laughs> federal punishment for a major crime. Uh, where is Pam? I'm in Fort Washington, mm. Pennsylvania. Okay. And uh, what can we do you for? Well, in mid-December, my husband and I were very motivated, and we needed to get some arbovites, and we found a place that was selling them at 75% off since it was late in the season. Right. So we purchased about 16 Arbovite green giants at about six feet tall in plastic pots, as you would usually find them. Um, planted about eight of them, but unfortunately Good. we got that freeze and the ground froze. Mm -hmm. um, so we still have eight that we need to plant, and I was interested in knowing where's the best place to keep the trees um, and what your advice would be. We had them in the garage, but I took them no. out because they weren't getting much light. Yeah. Um, you have two options. Um, okay. I don't know if you have a really good chance of a thaw where you are. Do you have a big pile of mulch or leaves or soil or anything like that? I do have a couple. Um, I have leaves that I was going to chop in the in the uh, spring, two container, two bags. Okay. So um, I do have some leaves. They're not chopped, but they're, I guess that's it's not important, but um, I yeah, could Not as important, and it's too darn cold. It is. So it is. Um, this is a lot of tree mass here. You're doing a major project. Yes, we have to reforest our tree, our, our yard, since we got hit by that tornado. Oh, okay. I'm very year. sorry about that. Yeah, All right. Was, so we're trying to put up a screen. What, what we want to do here is called healing in. It's the way that the tree farm you bought them from would try to get them through the winter. Um, okay. If possible, um, the best thing would be to dig holes in the ground 
drop the pots in the holes uh, without removing the trees and then mulch that over. If you can't do that, make a big pile of non-frozen stuff, soil, peat moss, potting soil, leaves, um, anything neutral, even some, um, because there's not going to be any interaction over the winter, uh, even arborist wood chips. And make sure that it's in a high spot on your property, not in a low spot, and um, put the pots in there, plant the pots in this, and make sure it's deep enough to cover the top of the pot. Okay. And then as soon as things start greening up in the spring, you plant the others. Okay, okay. Um, We put them next to the house. Would that be helpful to prevent the, you know, to protect them from the wind? Or is that not that great? What side of the house? I think it's the southeast. It's where the, you get a lot of sun. We get a lot okay. of sun from. Um, well, we're going to find out. <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> uh, but I would cover the pots with leaves. Okay. Hopefully they'll get some heat through your house. But as what we're trying to do is prevent the roots from freezing, from being above ground. And as far as watering, would should we water them, or is you that... have too much time on your hands? <laughs> I want to keep them alive. Well, they're outside. They're dormant. They're sleeping, and we've okay, gotten so we... snow and rain. Okay, we won't water them then. Correct. Don't do anything. Binge watch. Okay. Binge watch more TV. I'm loving Loki. Okay on uh, Disney Channel. But yeah, just make sure they are insulated as best you can, close to the ground as best you can, and then don't think about them. All right, that sounds like a plan. All right. Perfect. All righty. Well, thank you so much for your help. I really appreciate it. And happy birthday again. Oh, thank you so much. Here we go. One (laughs) more time. Thank you. Thank you. I'm 70. Nobody can say anything about me anymore. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) All right. Good luck, Pam. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 888-492-9444. Melanie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Where are you? I am located in uh, Hagerstown, Indiana. It's a very small town, about Mm -hmm. 50 miles east of Indianapolis and about 50 miles west of Dayton, Ohio. Okay, very good. Excellent. I know exactly where you are. All right, proceed. So my question is, I'm looking at uh, building some raised beds, and I'd like to build them about counter height. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering what kind of substrate to use in the bottom of the raised beds to put the soil on top of. And I thought I had heard a little bit about uh, straw bale gardening mm-hmm. and how the straw bale bake, breaks down into compost. And I thought, well, I wonder <sighs> if I could combine those two to uh, use the straw bale in the bottom to raise the height of the soil up so that it's not so much soil in the uh, raised bed itself. Okay. Um, straw, straw bale gardening is a trend that was popular a few years ago. Um, people would just um, punch a hole in the bale, 
put a plant in there and then soak it with um, chemical fertilizer all the time because there's no nutrition. And what they found mm -hmm. out is the top of the bale dries out quickly. The bottom of the okay. the bottom of the bale turns into an ugly, rotten, moldy mess. Oh. So you know, so much for good ideas. Now, <laughs> now, uh, how many raised beds do you want to build? Well, I'm thinking of starting with just one mm -hmm. U-shaped one, with the uh, bottom of the U being about maybe four or five feet across. Okay. And each. And each leg of the U would be probably another three or four feet. What do you intend to grow? Uh, vegetables, zucchini, peppers, uh, cucumbers, some tomatoes. Okay, well, you know. You know just the, in, the normal. In a, in a system like that, they're going to have to be uh, what are called bush tomatoes, determinant tomatoes that won't get too big. Oh, okay. Because you don't want to crowd your thing. Now, I have, mm -hmm. I have two possibilities for you. One that I have used very successfully is you go to Home Despot or somewhere and you buy a bunch of sturdy, like, outdoor tables. You know, like you would okay. give away pamphlets at or something like that. And then, you put, oh, uh -huh. and then you put containers on top of that. And uh -huh. that way you don't have to bend over. Um, it protects the plants from slugs and rabbits, and um, it, I, I found it to be very successful. Now, tomatoes grow bigger than anything else, so you would want to plant those in pots on the sides of your tables. Okay. But tabletop gardening it doesn't get the respect it deserves. Now, you've um, listeners have heard me talk about this before. There is a place called Greens fencing that makes all sorts of raised beds on legs. It's all pure cedar. Okay. It, it's all locally harvested and very easy to bolt together. And then you just fill it with your soil and um, party hardy. Okay, great. Could you repeat that? Uh, greens, green what was it? Okay. So it's greens with an S, fencing. Okay. Fencing. Okay. Fencing. They make almost all of the raised bed systems and uh, composting systems and, of course, fencing. And I got a raised bed on legs outside, and it, it's just the perfect height. I'm not bending okay, no wonderful. more. Bending is for chumps. <laughs> yes. Okay? Okay, great. Thank you so much. All right. My pleasure. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everyone out there that these mysterious and destructive daytime temps in the 60s and 70s are what John Wayne called a false spring in the classic film The Shootist. So don't be lured. Keep your plants inside. You know, if you want to take one of them for a walk for a couple of hours on a sunny 70-degree day, do so. But remember, that hammer is going to keep coming back down. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a brand new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA.
This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, Cats and Kittens, in just a little bit, Chapter 6 of our seed-starting extravaganza. Hopefully, that's the last chapter. But before that, more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444, 888-492-9444. Catherine, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi there, Mike. Hello, Catherine. How you doing? I'm doing great. How you doing? Um, ducky. Where are you, Catherine? I'm in Chester County, Honeybrook Township. What can we do for you? Uh, we have almost five acres, and the house is in the clearing, but we look at two to three acres of woods. Good. And after a storm, uh, we always have a tree or two down. Right. I'm wondering, am I, I, I don't like looking at all these trees that are down, but on the other hand, um, is it better to let nature take care of it, or should I clean them up? First of all, you're absolutely correct. Uh, trees that die replenish the soil like nobody's business. Um, you have quite a few options. How big are these trees? Um, I would say 20, 30 years old. Okay. So if they're in the woods, I would yep. say um, leave them be. Now, do you know what kind of trees? Uh, summer maple. Um I, I don't know what else. There, there's a mixture. You know, this is a very old wooded area. All right. So here's your options. Option number one is, to do you eat mushrooms? I love mushrooms. Option number one, um, go to this website. Are you ready? Yep. Go ahead. Fungi.com, F-U-N-G-I. That is run by my good friend, Paul Stamets. Uh, the company is called Fungi Perfecti. And Paul is the best person in the world to tell you what mushrooms uh, will grow best when seeded into trees. All you'd have to do is get back there with a cordless drill, uh, drill some holes in it, uh, drop the spawn in, and uh, do whatever else you know, the instructions are. Oh, get and, out. You're kidding. Well, I, I get things right every once in a while, you know. <laughs> I had no idea. Sometimes I think I'm on the monsters. Uh, yeah, well, that's how uh, mushrooms grow in the wild. I just had uh, an ash tree that had died years ago, and it was kind of close to the house. and But it was, you know, it was full of woodpecker holes. A wood duck lived in the top. Um, but then one morning after a rain, I woke up, and the base was covered 
with hen of the woods or chicken of the woods or not chicken of the sea. You know, it was just remarkable. And it reminded me that mushrooms are obviously not only a food staple, but the growing of the mushrooms absorbs lots of nutrients from the wood and helps it break down faster. So have somebody help you identify the trees. Um, go to go to the website and um, see what uh, see what you can grow. Would that help? That's a wonderful idea. I'm I'm going to look into that. But is it important to know what kind of tree it is? Yes. I... Oh. Yeah, okay. but you, there must be people in the neighborhood who can help you identify it. Or take pictures of the trees and send them to your local extension agent. Well, once they're laying there starting to rot, it, isn't it kind of difficult to tell what they are? I don't know. <laughs> You'll find uh, out, right? And there might also be some ubiquitous uh, mushrooms that grow in almost any type of rotting wood. Oh, well, I have seen mushrooms around this area occasionally. Right. Yeah. But I don't know a good one from a bad one, so I, you know, I never pick them. There are old mushroom hunters, and there are bold mushroom hunters, but there are no old and bold mushroom hunters. So, but you're, you're, buying, um, you're buying spawn. It's like buying seeds. I mean, it's all been tested. You're going to get the mushrooms they say you will. So now, you know, you don't have to worry about picking. Yeah. Okay? Oh, that's wonderful. Yes, I am. I know you are. <laughs> but what are you? That's a great idea. Do you want to come and look at them after they start growing? <laughs> Send us pictures, absolutely. Okay, okay, that's a deal. All right, you take care. Super, thank you, you too. Bye-bye. All right. All right, it is time for the final chapter of our seed-starting extravaganza. Chapter 6, Pricking Out, Thinning, and Hardening Off. As you will recall from our previous five thrilling episodes, your brand new starts are up and eating little bits of plant food. Be sure to turn off all bottom heat, but keep the little plants close to your LED or fluorescent lights. Depending on the size of your original cells, it will soon be pricking out time. Yes, that is the actual horticultural term for moving baby starts into larger containers, which you should do at least once during their ender time. Ender time. Ender time. What a time is it indoor? Anyway, while they're still inside. When? I don't know. I just do it when I have the time and expen uh, expansion plan? No, that's not right. But let's say a month out, with at least two weeks afterwards, for them to recover from your ham-handed molestations. Important note, if you're going to look up this term, type fast and get those last three letters in quick as a bunny. For starts like peppers, eggplants, flowers, etc., take your individual containers or cells and massage the sides gently until the plant and soil are easy to remove. Don't yank on the plants. If you have one of those multi-cell seed starting units, you'll have to go a pricking. Take a thin knife and slide it down all four sides of the container in question, and then use a spoon or something 
similar to try and lift out the entire thing, soil and all. No matter how you do this, you'll fill around half of your new container with fresh potting soil and plop, not an actual horticultural term, the baby plant on top, hopefully with lots of soil still attached to its roots. If the old and new soil lines um, uh, line up, you're good. If the old soil line is below the lip of the new container, lift it out, add soil to the bottom of the new container. If it's a little higher than before, that's fine. Now, tomatoes. Unlike almost anything else in the garden, tomatoes grow auxiliary roots all along any part of the stem that's buried. And those roots grow fast. It's not unusual for you to see tomato roots trying to escape the bottom of their pots. So the rules are different for tomatoes. Take your new, larger pot, plop the plant into the bottom, and then fill in around the rest of the stem with fresh potting soil. Pull off any lower leaves that would end up under the soil. You will continue this process every time you move that tomato plant up, including at planting time. Tomatoes should always be, quote, buried deep. Everything else should always be at the same height as it was in the original container. Thinning. If there was more than one plant in the container, it is best to snip out the weaker ones with a small pair of scissors. That means the poorly colored and or taller ones. Tall is not good with starts. It means that they're not getting enough light. Use small scissors and cry later. If you are experienced, brave, and perhaps foolhardy, yes, you can empty out the pot, untangle the roots, and plant each little plant in its own pot. Before you decide to do so, one, if you're new to the game, use the scissors. You can progress to screwing up royally in future seasons. Number two, count your starts and then figure out how many plants your garden can realistically hold. If you're already way over, snip, snip, snip. If, however, you could use a few more plants, then you can try untangling, also not a real horticultural term. If you're a newbie, ask an experienced gardener for help. Bonus, they'll also tell you all the other things you're doing wrong. After potting up, place the new containers in the legendary one to two inches of water in a sink and allow them to absorb that water through their drainage holes. Try not to use city tap water. Rainwater or purified water is best. Sniff the water. If you can smell chlorine, don't use it. And do not water your plants from overhead. They're already going through a little transplant shock, which is an actual horticultural term. When they're saturated, put them back under the lights and leave them alone for a couple days to stabilize. Wait a week for feeding. Before feeding, don't feed them for a week. Remove any mulch from your garden beds outside to help the soil warm up in preparation for planting. Hardening off. Yes, another real horticultural term. At six weeks of age, take your plants outside on warm sunny days and bring them back inside before it starts to cool off. Couple hours the first day and then increasing the time outside gradually until the first night is in the 50s. Then they get to spend the whole night out on the town or the picnic table. 
planting. Peppers, tomatoes, melons are all tropical plants that have no sense of humor when it comes to chilly nights. Forget your last average frost date. Forget daytime temps. They don't count. You can't do this by the calendar. Instead, keep track of the nighttime lows in the upcoming 10-day forecast. If you see any 30s, forget about planting. Same with low 40s. But when you get to the high 40s, like 47 or above, it's okay. But you'll get a much better yield if the 10-day shows all 50s at night with maybe a few high 40s mixed in there. Ignore this at your peril. Research has shown time and time again that planting too early can set your precious plants back two to three weeks. Well, that sure was a final intensive look at seed starting and pricking out now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over in detail at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you'll always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to... To, to, darn, if I use any of those words again, the FCC will be on me like fleas on a dog if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your emails. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT.org. Oh, please include your location. I'm so sad when you don't. You'll find all of this contact information at our website. And once again, it's YouBetYourGarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to lots of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of previous 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 shows and our podcast you bet your garden is a half hour public television show an hour-long public radio show and podcast all produced and delivered to you weekly 
by the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. It's going to take me a while to get used to that. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he was given the honor of carrying the Olympic torch and immediately tripped and fell, breaking his glasses. Luckily, he was able to make out the fuzzy outline of something with fire on top. So he grabbed it and started running. And that, boys and girls, is how the dread Dormammu wound up dazed and confused selling really hot pizza slices in Boston. Dormammu, I come to bargain. Bring this stuff. Set me free. No. I've come to bargain. What do you want? Take your zealots from the earth. End your assault on my world. Never come back. Do it, and I'll break the loop. Our musical director is Ken Queter. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airwaves is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerfully cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and read all the amazing posts and pictures and everything like that at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. It's really heating up. Teresa Radke is our profound princess of priceless production. The lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Zach Tataquisneski is in the house, as is or are Jacob Morris and the rest of our wonderful gang of idiots. Our beloved CEO Tim Fallon is nowhere to be seen. This might be linked to his Valentine's Day gift to his wife of a brand new vacuum cleaner. At least we think it was brand new. The box was all taped up and had a big refurbished sticker on the outside. And it was missing the plug. Yeah, picky, picky, picky. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, gearing to start up my own seeds on March 15th for planting outside on... Wait a minute, I'm starting my seeds on the Ides of March? Oh, that might explain a lot. I'm gonna recheck that calendar and see you again next week.